This week, we will talk about growing a data engineering team in a scale-up. And we have a special guest today, Mehdi. So I know Mehdi as a content creator and a data engineer. So we live in the same city, Berlin, and this is how we met. It was actually near Alexanderplatz, where I work. And yeah, he has over eight years of experience in data and engineering. Now he works as a staff data engineer. And yeah, so today we will talk about scaling data teams in a scale-up. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for welcoming <laughs> on the show with such a praise on my YouTube channel. I need to keep up the game now. Yeah. Okay, so before we go into our main topic, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Yeah, sure. So I started, uh, as you mentioned, about eight years ago in the data world, doing BI classic with like Microsoft tooling and mostly click and drag and drop tooling. And then I had like actually quite fast enough opportunity to jump early on a big data project. So an on-premise Hadoop cluster back then. And I just surfed on that wave then because back then it there was like little resource actually to do such a, such work at scale. And a lot of companies started to invest into their on-premise clusters. So I had like kind of a R&D project, but Again, remember, I mean, cloud was there, but not as popular without free tiers. So basically, if you wanted to have a playground, it was already cost you a lot of money. So I just surfed on that wave, built my skills around data engineering, mostly big data infrastructure, working corporate, and then move out from Belgium about three years ago, joining tech company. So like Klarna and back market. And so those experiences, the last experience, work experience was mostly in a, in a scale-up company and yeah i think i think the the environment is pretty different from standard company and that's uh yeah where i am today as i just started as a staff uh, data engineer now do you miss those days when you had to have uh, like an on-premise hadoop cluster to do analytics or big data or data engineering? i don't i hate it i think like the barrier to entry was so high you needed an entire team there was so much skills needed, like networking, set up servers. I mean, networking you still do on the cloud, but not as heavy when you have to order the machine to the data center, you know, and configure your your network infrastructure yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember we had uh, four servers from Hetzner, four machines, and then we had a Hadoop cluster there. And not only it was constantly breaking, so we didn't have a team to look after it, yeah. but also like uh, most of the time it was idle and uh, we data scientists would just SSH to one of these servers to do some data science stuff. And then if somebody wants to run a Hadoop job there, then exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it was funny times. <laughs> yeah, so today, before when you were running a, a big job, you were blocking everybody. So people were coming at your desk. Now you're just burning your credit card. So it's at the <laughs> end of the month that people are coming at your desk. <laughs> okay. So what does it mean to be a scale-up? So I know what a startup is. So startup is a company that just started up and I know also more yeah. or less what enterprise is. And enterprise is a company, a huge one with a lot of people working. So what is a scale-up? Is it something in between or what is it? Yeah. So I think there is different like understanding of what's a scale-up, but like properly speaking is a company which is in hyper growth. So it's a company that usually have achieved uh, first uh, revenues and they have another big funding series to basically scale up their their team because the pace to which they get the user right is faster to the, the engineering team right so they need to at a certain point have other challenge at other skills and so they heavily recruiting it's usually a company that goes from i don't know 80 people to 400 in like two years or one years even it's like yeah so mm. when i was at Klarna, i was like 30 people joining every month yeah so that's like mostly i would say the environment and connected to that right you have decision that needs to make be fast right so it's not like where you have time because you also still need to prove yourself on the markets or you're in competition. So the driven decision for such a feature are going faster. So when you describe it, I imagine 
an environment where it's just a bunch of people, a lot of users, and uh, everything is on fire, and everyone is running around screaming. <laughs> is it <laughs> similar to that? Yeah, it's roughly correct. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the different companies I've been working, they have different challenge at different time. Maybe they launch a new product. Maybe they launch like a classic uh, challenge is when those like European company they scale to the US, right? It's a completely different dimension of them of users and of thermal usage. Like one, I would say if you do, for example, B2B and you have one customer that has, I don't know, shopping, for example, and you serve something on the e-commerce over there, it has so much impact because the United States is so big that it's way bigger than what you can have on the European market. So that brings like downstream other challenge. Another example is like a new project feature, right? Which is quite challenging. So yeah, I think it's really depend, but yeah, there is always a lot of stuff on fire and you need to basically make compromise to see what's the biggest one to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to focus on. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you also need to grow a team, right? And then yeah. you need to quickly fix things like your production issues in such a way that maybe later you will regret, but you need to fix us up, right? And then you also need to hire a lot of people and then all these people come and also add these code fixes, right? And then it's quite a challenge, right? Yes, exactly. As you mentioned, you need to do compromise between speed and quality all the time. Yeah, that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you're just collecting technical debt if you just do speed, right? And this dimension of onboarding people is, I think for me, that was one of the biggest challenge where you have so much people coming in, not just in your team, but as a stakeholder. I think for me, it's like the two biggest things, like how do you make your compromise all the time and how do you keep your onboarding process uh, smooth and also your product ready to scale internally or externally, right? Mm -hmm. So hyper growth here that you were talking about refers to both growing in terms of users, user base, also in terms of traffic consequently, right? And also in terms of the number of people who work at the company. And uh, it happens at the same time, right? I mean, it depends, but usually they want to hire a lot of people because they get a lot of users (laughs) and they have new challenges, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the recent companies that you would describe as scale-up? Maybe you heard about Gorillas. This is like grocery delivery. Would it be a scale-up? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, in Berlin, there is a lot. I think what I would not call a scale-up, even if there's tech companies like Zalando, for example, it's more established mm-hmm. or Spotify. It's enterprise, right? Yeah, because they're still growing, but not at the same curve that would say a company. And they have like more established revenue that makes them more comfortable to survive such a period as we have now, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, scale-ups, typically, they have investors, right? So they are not necessarily earning all this money. They just closed maybe investment uh, round, so they have borrowed money. So it's not necessarily their own. Yeah, most of the time. I'm not such a huge fan. I mean, that's mm-hmm. been like what the landscape has been like this past years, and with huge funding. Was it reasonable? Not. That's another story. But yeah. That's what I was saying is that there is some achieved first revenues, right? But the value is still yet to be proven. Uh, and that's why basically you bet on investing into a lot of features and a lot of engineer to basically reach a state where you, you're comfortable. And what do data engineers do in a scale-up environment? How is, is this work different from, I don't know, your typical enterprise? Yeah. So we put like the, the landscape and so here it is, you're joining a team and like next week, so a data engineering team or a data platform team has maybe uh, multiple consumer internally, right? Data analyst, data scientist. And so let's say you have hundreds of them today or maybe way less 50, but the growth of the, <laughs> the months is really big, right? So aside from the people, you would expect a lot of more use case, different way of using your products as a data platform engineer. And so you need to think 
when you build stuff and how how you can scale the usability directly and remove yourself from the equation. So that's like that was mostly my role. I forgot to mention in the intro because there is multiple definition of data engineer, right? But I've been working more as a data platform engineer, providing tool and service. I've been doing before more like really writing pipeline and I would say business logic to deliver to other internal data stakeholder. There will still be those kind of people in scale up, right? But it's the same thing. They need to think how they can scale. Like, you know, okay, I'm doing a small pipeline that reach a Google sheet and it's totally fine for this small use case. But then suddenly that Google sheets blow it up because there is way more data giving a certain context to come back. We, we go to the US, for example. So what do you do, right? And so that's the thing. You need to anticipate more about things going to break uh, way sooner than it would be. I would say like in startup, you can make more saying a bit more cowboy because you say, okay, let's let's just have users, right? And do shortcuts and maybe there is some technical deaths down the line that we're going to regret, <laughs> but it's fine. Let's just bring value and go for it. And in scale-up environment, it's a bit different because if you do those shortcuts without thinking too much, it's going to cost you way sooner than expected. Mm -hmm. So here, as I understood you, so as a data platform engineer or data engineer working in the yeah. data platform, so your role is to let others build data pipelines. So build tools for that. Yeah. So then data scientists, data analysts, whoever needs uh, data, they can use this platform to do whatever they need. And you need to build it in such a way that, I don't know, it can withstand 10 times more traffic than today. Yeah. So I think like coming back to the onboarding thing, there is a lot of education to do around those different people because they all come from different backgrounds. Against like data role in general, the name, they're super confusing, right? Data scientist, analytics engineer, mm -hmm. like how deep the technical person is, does he has experience with that technology or that, right? And so also your job as a data platform engineer is really to make it as simple as possible so that, you know, you assume a certain technical level of your data consumer. So, okay, I think they're going to be able to do that, but not that much. And it's pretty well documented. You have maybe, you know, an onboarding session, a support channel that is there, that is reactive, that listen to the user. So kind of like a startup inside the scale up where you really need to listen closely to your consumer because they're growing quickly. And if you just behave like, okay, I'm going to do that pipeline myself, right? Because it's faster. Like you could do, for example, in another set of company, you will regret down the line because you're still putting yourself in the equation as a dependency, right? And here it's it's really about leveraging other data people. And in practical terms, what does having a data platform usually mean? Is it like an airflow cluster and then some other things that you can use from this airflow cluster? Yeah, so I think it's more than that because this is like just one piece. It's like having a car without the driving license. Mm -hmm. You cannot do much. I mean, you could, but then I probably think it's going to break. Mm -hmm. So airflow is the car, right? What is the driving <laughs> license? The driving license would be probably like an example report on how you should structure the thing, how you should handle secrets, for example, in Airflow. What's the naming convention? Maybe also configure some Airflow pipeline as a YAML file if they are generic rather than having to rewrite them all in all. Again, this is like classic thing where you take an Airflow DAG, yeah, it's okay. We can do manually and copy paste, they are slightly different. We are not going into the struggle of having a YAML file that generate DAX. There is easy frameworks for you to do so now. But the point is, yeah, again, you need to think ahead and say, okay, are we going to have 10 pipeline like this or 20 pipeline next month like this, right? So maybe we should better invest that time now. Mm -hmm. But it's always about compromise, right? But it's really, to coming back to your question, the driving license is basically all the best practice that you can put from the start so that things goes not bananas and out of control. 
and that's that's usually the case if you have a lot of users they have so much imagination that at the end you end up with uh, a lot of interesting things on your platform so in some ways for data platform with the car part it's uh, airflow plus i guess some connections maybe to databases uh, data lakes and so on right so then you can read from somewhere right to some other place and then in addition to that you have a set of rules or playbook or something that people can use in order to effectively use the airflow part right the car part so they can drive the car right and yeah. you as a data engineer you need to make sure that first of all the these things are up to date right and users know how to, to use it and you i guess help them also figure out like how exactly they should use it yeah that's exactly that yeah okay who do we need to actually build this such a data platform yeah i think i can tell about some mistake i, <laughs> I saw in the past is that for a scale-up, you probably don't want to make compromise on seniority. You know, there is this saying, if you pay peanuts, you get monkey. Uh, <laughs> the, the point is, you should try to recruit a lot of senior folks first to set those best practice, right? You don't need a ton of them. But if you just are relying on junior or new starter, you know, intimidating the career to set up things that scale, right, at huge fast pace, it will be really difficult because the problem is that learning on the job is really challenging because the challenges fall down on your desk, right? It's like, okay, now we're going to GS, you need to scale. So it's not just, okay, what if we, if we put that feature? No, it's like, it's happening next month. So yeah, also trying to get people with a niche skills, if you need. Again, it's the same reason because it's really difficult to ramp up on certain technology. Let's say you have an, a new use case with streaming, right? And you, you need to implement the Kafka cluster. Don't expect like people that has never worked with Kafka, even, even if they're brilliant engineer, right? To just learn by themselves and set up the whole thing to, to scale up, even if it's like temporary like an expert in that, that has huge seniority. Same if you're going to the cloud, right? Most of the company are already in the cloud or if you're changing cloud provider, just get someone that has experience with that and that will help to put the best practice in place. I mean, even you and me, right? We are both experienced in the domain, but whenever we tackle the new technology, it's always super hard to say, is it the right way to use it, right? There is a valuable, experience of having to work before with technology if you need to scale it fast yeah so you mentioned we realized that we need a kafka cluster but if we don't have experience using kafka how do we know that we actually need it it, it would be funny to to hire a person who has this experience with kafka only for them when they start working to say hey we shouldn't use kafka here <laughs> yeah, no, that's fairly true. Uh, there is uh, like uh, an architecture decision that should be also drive by some seniority people, right? So you need somebody like that too, right? When you design in the platform. Yeah, yeah. But the point is also at lower level, like let's say you have engineer in general, software engineer that's comfortable with subsystem, maybe RabbitMQ, right? And they want to consider Kafka. And you know, some of them have heard of it. Some of them have been playing a bit like they consume right to Kafka topic. But the point is just having like high level knowledge on this to possibly make some decision, right? And some good decision is not enough to say, okay, now we're going to implement it and serve it at scale with a team and we're going to maintain it, right? And that's like a huge difference because the point is that, I mean, you're going to start with one or two topic, right? To, to try it out. And then the next pound probably gonna have 15. And by the end of, of like three months, you're gonna have uh, hundreds of topics, right? And if you don't have, or you didn't have the Kafka expert at the beginning, then it's really hard to untie everything to do. So a concrete example I can give you, I was mentioning Kafka just like of the way, but for data folks, it's like data contract with a user. So, you know, a software engineer push data to Kafka and they have usage from service to service, right? As a pop-up. And they often really not care about what's happening downstream. And then data team is gonna plug to Kafka, downstream to S3, and then do transformation. A best practice to do in that sense is to 
but actually some data contract with the data folks and say, okay, this is the schema that we're going to have. Everything is going to be typed. So we are not going to put like random JSON. It's going to be like Avro, for example, on the schema registry, you can consult the latest version. If there is a change in the schema, this is what we're going to allow of change. This is our process for changing schema. And so all those things will smoother the things down the line because then if you have a new user of Kafka, you just, you know, read the guideline and that's it. But if there is no guideline, again, people are really creative. <laughs> and at the end, you're just suffering, consuming those stuff as data platform teams say, oh, there is a data type change in that schema that was allowed, or there is not even like, uh, you know, a proper schema. It's just a JSON that's evolving. It's really hard to parse. We have high compute uh, cost on our Spark cluster or data warehouse because the data is not super well modeled from the source. So yeah, you basically, it's just a few examples, create a lot of downstream problem that you could have avoided with some best practice from the start. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you don't have experience in Kafka, then you might not know that schemas change or you might not realize, right? And you might just, okay, I'll just be sending JSON. Yeah. What can possibly go wrong, right? But then in a couple of months, something happens, yeah. data changes, right? And you just didn't think about this. But person who has experienced this, who probably lived through this experience <laughs> of having to somehow manage these ever-changing JSON files, perhaps maybe you did have this experience. That's why yeah. you're bringing this up, right? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Was a pain. Then these people, yeah, they know, hey, hey, wait a minute. Like, we first need to think about this thing because when there are 100 topics, then it will bite us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have quite a few questions. So the question we have is, hi, I recently got a senior data engineering role and I expect it to be fast paced. Any idea as to how I can manage the pace while ensuring personal growth? That's a really good question. I've seen depressed data engineer in scale up environments sometimes because we're talking about that trade between speed and quality. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you're not really in control of that decision. You know, there is politics in place and you just redo. And so if you are in a place where you keep redoing things and you keep just extinguish fire, right? Without having a proper vision. I mean, always the same fire that's hurtful. And it's also not really interesting for, for learning because you're just redoing the same things and the same fixes. So I think it's really depend on the general culture. Uh, I always say that in a scale up, once you get like above 200 people, I would say, you have basically a macro culture of the company and a micro culture within the team that could be quite different. Okay. So I would say talk with your future teammates, your engineer to feel it. Yeah, I think it's a discussion within the team to basically make those compromise together. I think it's important. So I think it's just a part of negotiating. If you just keep fixing all the things, right, without like having the time to build stuff that is more interesting where you can learn, then it's just that there is a problem somewhere else where someone is just accepting everything and is just not putting a buffer, right? And again, it's not just say, hey, let's uh, see each other in a month and we'll build all stuff and coming back with a rockets. It's just about compromise. It's just say, okay, you need this thing tomorrow. Can you do it? Can you have it in three days? I want to refactor this part, right? And for bigger projects, it's a lot of communication with the stakeholder to say, hey, we want to get away with this. This is all the pain points that we've been notified. So if you're intentional with what you want to improve, and the time that you're going to save, then I think you're going to have a lot of space to, to learn and grow. But it's true that it can be challenging to make those compromise. And it's highly depending on who is supporting you in, in, in which team you are handing up. And you also brought up this topic of culture. And I guess a company that recently was a startup, but now all of a sudden is experiencing growth, then the culture is. Now, they might not have a chance to adapt to this new environment, right? So then maybe as a senior data engineer, 
you can try to somehow influence the culture, right? You can say, okay, no, this is not how we should do this because we're no longer a startup. Because we expect that the next week there could be two times, three times, yeah. ten times more traffic, right? And then as a senior data engineer or as a senior engineer in general, I think sometimes it's kind of expected that you bring these topics up, right? Yeah, it's a really great point you, you brought up that basically you have to uh, know that the general company is in transformation, like you shift and they are open, right? I mean, they shoot in terms of culture to say, okay, uh, we used to, you know, do one release every week and that was fine. Uh, say no, but we have too much brink. We need to change our process. We need to change the way we work. You have space to speak up, but you have to take that space. And it's true that sometimes people, they end up in a scale-up environment a bit like randomly, you know, but they're not really aware that it's okay. It's, it's a company that's growing a lot. But so you you should be stepping back, saying, okay, there is a lot of stuff that's not going to work exactly as you mentioned, because people think, oh, we're still a startup. We can do that. Okay, no, that's not working. Like a simple thing, like sending birthday, you know, or goodbye email to the whole company. You know, as the company grow, like in corporate, you're not going to say, hey, it's my birthday. And uh, you're laughing, but I saw some scale of like still doing that. And you feel like, okay, we probably shouldn't do that anymore. I mean, it's a really minor thing, right? It's just mm-hmm. like a small story. Uh, but you get the point. There is a lot of internal thing that needs to change and you just need to embrace that change and, and suggest how we can move forward. Mm-hmm. So this uh, question is a bit ambiguous and maybe on purpose. So it says, while ensuring personal growth and personal growth can mean different things for different people, right? So what kind of personal growth you think you can expect from a uh, scale up like is it more like this culture changing sort of personal growth i don't know leading a team like you i guess had experience uh, with or it's more like new tools scaling problems or all of the above yeah i think like when i heard like personal growth i think it's like both on technical and on the ic track individual contributor or the manager track and all about leadership and everything else but i think it's it's both sides, but I, again, it's really heavily depending where you're handing up, but you do have huge opportunity over there. You have, I would say, if I compare to, let's take the problem the other way around. If you are in a slow growth company, right? They might not have that much budget. You may hire maybe one or two people in your team, or, you know, like it's completely different, but here you have opportunity to work on onboarding process, get the other people up to speed improving your tool sets, improving the data platform that you you serve because you have a lot of use cases and people are screaming, right? And I feel even if it's like a constant fire and it's, I agree, it might not fit everybody depending on their, their mood, but at least you know that some people are using what you're doing, right? And in a slow growth company, maybe you're gonna work in on that small project or that existing project and it's it's harder to see your your impact where in a scale-up environment you have so much opportunities that you're going to see at a certain point uh, an impact that you're going to do so would you recommend somebody who let's say is a senior and that person is considering multiple offers and one of these offers is for a scale-up company and let's say another offer is for enterprise so would you suggest that a person to go with a scale-up or with enterprise? I think it's personal life. <laughs> I mean, now I heard both things and, you know, I both have kids. I think like when you have kids, for, depending on the you see situation in life, right? It's different. Mm-hmm. What you want, what you, you do next to your job. I mean, people are really fine to do just nine to five, you know, and have their family time and then don't look further. They look to learn something new and there is nothing wrong with that, right? Everybody's different. Everybody has different ambition. Mm-hmm. I would not advise, I give like, I think it's a really opinionated choice, right? Mm-hmm. Now I can tell like, okay, if you want to grow your career faster, then definitely a scale up or a big fan company is, is a good place. A big fan company, you will meet incredible people because there is a base level, which is really high, right? So 
you're going to work on a really niche product. So the problem is not that maybe your impact is not going to be that big, right? You're going to work on that Google Doc comment, you know, color, like it's going to be really, <laughs> really small, right? But you're going to learn technically so much things and build a network, which is insane. And for me, like I actually is day to go into a thing. So that's the third option, I would say a big tech company like Facebook or Netflix. But I found like a scale up is actually the good compromise with a startup because they have money to run a couple of years, right? There is interest. I say normally there is first revenue generated, but they're still not at the same size than, a, of course, a big tech company. So you could have project that has a huge impact company-wide, right? So I feel like it's uh, the best of the two worlds between a startup and, and a fang for growth. But now it can be really stressful. It can be time-consuming, um, extra hours here and there. I think it's also depending on the culture, right? In the US, uh, it's, like, it's, it's even more different than Europe. But yeah, take that into consideration. Also, again, I always do reverse interview after the process. I do one more interview with the manager that I'm going to work or some teammates, right? Direct teammates I'm work and just chat a bit more informally about like my concern and so on to grasp like what's the mood over there. Well, what do you ask? What's the most boring thing at work? Oh. <laughs> I'm easily even asked that during the interview process because I don't have the offer yet. So like the people getting mm -hmm. interviewed, they're not sure if I'm the right fit, right? I mean, in general, because there is multiple people asking, but I think there is question that you can ask like that. Or what you used to work during the weekend or not. So yeah, at what time is you, do you stop? It's like informal question, but if you ask that on everybody on your interview process, you, you get the grasp of the general culture and how it's, it's driven. Mm -hmm. And would your answer be different for a junior specialist? So somebody who is just entering the field of data engineering or yeah. maybe just has, has less than one year of experience, like for them, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it, it will be just too boring, right? To work nine to five. Yeah, yeah indeed. So as you go by, I think it's depending on your where you're situating in life and corporate versus scale up. That's where concerning if you already have a couple of years of experience. If you're junior, yeah, then definitely that's the best way to dive into the cold water. You don't have, I would say, other hard commitments on different things. So you can really spend a lot of time on your work, at least for the first years to just ramp up. And yeah, I've seen like people growing super, super fast in scale up. In a lot of scale up, I think in, in tech company also, there has like two promotion around per year, right? And I've seen some unique talent. Okay, this is like really unique and it's not happening like something. Don't get me, don't get me wrong, but like being promoted two times a year, it's just because they were delivering so much. Again, everybody is different. Everybody has a life context, which is different. But the point is you have the opportunity, right? In a classic company, that, that would never happen. That would never happen because you won't have the opportunity. It's not about the promotion round. It's also about having the project, right? To uh, basically show off, right? And I think in one year, in a certain scale up, when you see their products before and after the year, a lot of things could happen, right? So yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, another question we have. I am leading a data team in a hyper growth scaling up company in Lyon, France. How do you guys source big data engineers? I guess like, with this question is how, where do we find talent? Right? How do we find data engineers? We don't find them. There is not enough of them so <laughs> so you will not not answer this question right because you need this no 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 no. <laughs> I, I, people. no no i think there is something that definitely help and that the scale up need to work on usually the start to work on is the engineering culture so a good example of established tech company like airbnb for example a lot of engineers know them of course, because of the service, but they know them on the engineering part because they have so much open source project. They have an insane blog, right? They speak at conference. So yeah, you know them because of what they do on the engineering side. And I think a scale up need to invest into those things, into contributing back to the community to show 
this is our engineering environment. And I feel that's the best way to attract talents. Like engineering in general, they're mostly attracted by engineering problems. <laughs> so they see there is like, you know, Brian mindset in that open source project from that company. When they are passionate, they actually look at that. And also it's a way to filter some people. I mean, to get some people which are more curious, right? I think like curiosity is a really great value to get when you're seeking for talent. It's really hard to evaluate, right? Like you can ask like, okay, do you have side project? Often do you read the technical book or write? But I think when you get people contributing on your open source project, reaching out to you after, you know, a tech conference, because they, they heard you speaking, you know that those people, they are curious and willing to learn and passionate about what they do, which uh, usually show up as a talent that can grow really well. And you also, at the beginning, you mentioned that you sometimes met with depressed data engineers. So I guess in this environment where people might already felt like squeezed lemons, now you also ask them, you know, if you want as a VP of engineering, you realize, okay, now I want to improve culture or change culture because we want to attract more talent. So we want to be, to have like nice employer brands, right? And now yeah. you tell all your squeezed uh, engineers to also write articles and then, okay, like now I work, I don't know, 12 hours per day. So where do I find time? That's again, I guess the question of <laughs> culture, right? Yeah, it's a balance, but it's a really good point. And coming back to reality that uh, not everything is uh, is green and nice, but like normally, like for those kind of opportunities of conference and blog, so also should be led by more seniority people. So I would say if we come back to our example with the junior person, right? It's not necessarily him that's going to write, but he's going to have opportunity to write a blog about it. It's going to take extra work, right? But I believe that the reward is really insane. To give another example, I know it's really also opinionated and I think they, they don't do it anymore. Uh, Google is the 20%. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we have 20% uh, of your time to work on any project. I think you have to justify everything. I've never been too much in detail. And a lot of people were saying, oh, but it's not 80 and 20%, it's under 20%, right? End up to work on the weekend for this project where you need to show up something. But Google Maps was built on those 20%. So the point is that it was an opportunity there and yeah, someone take it on, on the site. The point is that you have opportunities to, to show up, but it will require quite some work. And I think at a certain point, you can find a balance where you're not a squeeze at Lyman, mm -hmm. as you mentioned. I also happen to work to be an editor of our corporate tech blog. And what I notice is uh, sometimes somebody works on a very cool thing. And then I ask them, hey, can you write something about this? Because this is so cool. And I get a bit of a pushback, but this is nothing special. I just do my work. So I'm wondering if you have a suggestion for me, like how do I convince them that actually what they work on is, I mean, it's not usual, but it's also quite interesting. And many other people will also be interested in learning this thing about the, the problem, the solution and things like this. Yeah. So any advice I recommend for any junior getting in the industry is writing content or doing content in general. And when I say content, it can be a PR on a repo. It can be your project uh, that you push on a, as open source. It can be a blog, video, anything. Because the best way to learn is actually to teach it to, to someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like the first thing. And the second thing, so I think like there is a lot of value in writing in general because it forces you to summarize things out, right? You get to a review process when you get feedback from people. And then afterwards, as you mentioned, is that when you share it, you get feedback also from other people. And fun fact is that most of the time you get more feedback from people outside your company than inside your company. Because your things are so niche and you are so connected in 2022 online, right? I think this community is a really good example. You would never be able to launch like an 
on mostly online community like five years ago, right? But is we get more network online and feedback online that it's a really good opportunity for you to get feedback on this. Oh, actually that design, it sucks and it's okay. <laughs> You're going to have haters anyway, but it puts you yourself in perspective and say, okay. And other people say, okay, actually, uh, this is really great. And we did exactly the same, but slightly different. Yeah, I had long talks with people that read some of my blog posts online, right? So we book uh, an hour and I learned so much from them. I learned as much as, as they give. So people see that as a work, you know, like, oh, I have to do this for others. But you're going to learn a lot through the process, pro and cons. So it's it's the really best way to, to evaluate where you're standing. How, how do you get this call? So somebody read your article, they reach out to you on LinkedIn saying, hey, amazing article. And then you ask them, can we get on a call? And I want to ask you about your, yeah, I don't know, what do you think about this? <laughs> it's the other way around. <laughs> okay. So they, they ask directly. To, uh -huh. Okay, to, I see. They want more insight, maybe because, you know, sometimes uh -huh. in the article, you need to take some shortcuts. Yeah. Or sometimes they reach out by chat and they they give like a precise technical question. You know, like, uh, okay, you didn't mention this. Can you please elaborate? And yeah, and then I'm coming back to them because I know they have such implementation. And I'm like, oh, by the way, I faced that issue. What do you think? No, it's like, it's a win-win. So that's, I really want to insist on that. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's always a win-win when people oh. reach out, when you start to, you know, go more to further than the hello world project, because when it's a company blog, it's often not an hello world project, right? Mm -hmm. it's, so I think there is way more value actually in writing those blogs. Personal blog is also super great to do, but like company blog can bring a lot of value. Yeah, thanks. In a scale up, people usually need to work on a wide range of tasks, right? So like you pretty much a generalist, but then as uh, the scale up grows, evolves, now, these people might need to specialize later. Do you think it's okay and how to deal with this specialization? Yeah, I, I don't think you're that much. I mean, data engineer already is a generalist, right? We put okay. everything we can in that role. I think it's the same for most of the data role. You know, like a data scientist might be doing a lot of pipeline in the scale up until they found like a proper data engineering team to help them. So I think it's, uh, again, it's depending on the setup. I didn't feel like I was too much generalist. And as the team are growing, right, your responsibility will be scoping down and more niche and then hence your skill set, right? So to give a concrete example, I don't know, let's say you are the data platform that maintains a data warehouse and infra Kafka cluster, right? Okay, now you have a lot of user and you want to build a framework like dbt to enable people to do SQL, execute SQL in a production manner. So like what dbt does, so it's, it's an open source project, okay, it's available, but let's say you have to build this thing in the house, it doesn't exist. It's going to be a dedicated team, right? You cannot manage the data warehouse plus that at the same time. So your scope will go down. So you're more going to from like a SQL, I mean, access management role to like really proper developing a service uh, that involves different set of technology. Same thing for streaming, right? So, okay, now we involve into streaming. So based on the project and how the things are going to grow, you're going to be scoped down and be more niche. We were talking about, you know, Google Doc uh, comment features. I think you need to have specific skill sets uh, like real-time, uh, you know, WebSocket and so on for those kind of team. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and so you're going to build a certain profile based basically on project that's going to come over. That's like what I would say roughly. Yeah. Also at the beginning, you mentioned that there are different kinds of data engineers. So one type of data engineers where they work on platforms and yeah. the other works more on use cases. So the question that we have here is what is the ratio of work between platform building and use case pipelines? So really good question. Again, it's depending on the size of your company, but let's say, yeah, in the scale up, in the context of a scale up, I would say 50, 50, because 
you're going to build as much pipeline as features that you're going to develop to ease the development of this pipeline. <laughs> so yeah, they're going to be a lot of requests that's similar, basically, right? And you do need to build frameworks to build something generic around it. So that's more of the data platform. But yes, I would say 50-50 in general. Mm-hmm. So you start getting requests and then you see if there is any pattern. And then for those, the, when there is a pattern, you kind of build a solution for this. So then yeah. these people can, like, I don't know, those who request these uh, things, they will just be able to solve. Exactly. Okay. What would you say is the most important attribute for a data engineer who wants to get promoted from mid-level role to a senior role? Yeah, I think you need to be more proactive. As a mid-engineer, you're basically solving problem really for your team, right? And as in the senior, you're stepping back and you're looking what's the next team next to you. Like what I mean by that is like, the closest team in terms of a data platform or you no know, users and have projects start to have thinking, okay, you need to do something to help two teams, for example, my team and another one. And then it's the same thing for staff. Like when you get staff, it's like more at the whole engineering scope. Uh, okay, how do I have a project that, you know, solve issue that has, that is present on the whole engineering team. So the, I would say the, the more you grow, the bigger the impact you should have. And so basically, as a mindset, you should always like kind of a step back from your ticket and what you have in the backlog and say, okay, why are we doing this, right? And what's, what's the problem? Go talk with people from other teams, book a chat. I think it's way harder now in remotes for me, at least. Before I just, you know, hang out at the coffee machine and I learn stuff. But book intentionally stuff to say, hey, I just want to to chat uh, informally, like what have you been up to? And maybe you're going to see, oh, there is something to do. Yeah. Are you looking for a band? Somebody is interested if you are, because it appears they need a, a bass <laughs> guitar player. A bass guitar player. No, I'm not. I have my own project and I've been putting that aside. But uh, yeah, no. But uh, I think they want to have somebody who is both a data engineer and a bass guitar player. <laughs> yes, yeah, so maybe. Yeah, I don't know. No, but, uh, I, don't, I don't have any facility <laughs> time for that. How many caps do you have? Is that your question or is it a question? Okay, in, this uh, is mine. Okay. <laughs> okay, because I was thinking maybe there is some uh, colleagues trolling me because it's a common question. Okay, say a number, I'll, I'll say lower or higher. 100? Uh, lower. Uh, okay, I am disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. 20? Still a bit lower. Okay. Okay, we stop there. I want to leave the, you know, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about your channel, but then we have quite a few questions, so I wanted to cover them too. So tell us about your channel. Yeah. It's a channel about data engineering mostly. I mean, also coding. I mean, any software engineer is welcome, right? I think uh, data engineer, they are software engineering at first. So it's mostly me sharing whatever I can about my experience around data scope. I put like a, a data engineer roadmap as project. So roadmap with a specific project and I'll be showcasing those projects. So really my intention there, it's just like, sharing my knowledge and get feedback again. So when, when people are coming back to me, say, hey, uh, maybe you did that wrong. So yeah, that's like the channel. It's called Medio Data TV. I also have a podcast now, which is called Data Creators.club. It's just also on the YouTube channel and there is links on Spotify and so on. And Data Creators.club is the website I've done to find data mentors, right? So you can search any data mentors on any channel, YouTube, LinkedIn, Medium. It's a pretty simple website, but it gets a lot of traction. So yeah, again, it's me just uh, learning from people and putting a list of those. You are, of course, inside that list. Thank you. And yeah, and that's mostly like uh, where I'm active, like in the underwriting, I'm I'm using Medium and and LinkedIn Mm -hmm. to write. How much time do you spend on creating a video? Because when I look at this, it's 
amazingly high quality videos. And I know that there are other creators and they have an entire team actually to do this. Yeah. You don't have a team, right? So I, I'm cloning myself, right? I have this one. It's two people, right? And uh, for those who are just listening and not seeing video, you're pointing at uh, rubber the duck, duck that looks yeah, like duck. Uh, Darth Vader. From... Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> so I definitely spent too much time at the moment. I'm still figuring out the process. I started in December with like roughly one video a month, sticking a lot of time. I'm getting better. Like the first video, it literally took me two months, you know, like the banner, creating a YouTube channel, the intro, the outro. I think it takes me more time to produce content. I don't have the flying wheel yet because my expectation in production are high. So it's not really a good thing because you were mentioning, oh, the quality is good, but I, I maybe I don't spend enough time on the core content. But I believe I will have, you know, when my process will be figured out, right? Then like, okay, now I can pull a high quality video in less time so I can spend more time on the content. So the point, don't be discouraged. If anyone is listening and uh, I want to go on YouTube channel, you just need today a smartphone and, and you're good to go as long as you have a good story to tell. But for me, it's definitely taking too much time at the moment, still getting into the process to lower that and get to a right pace. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned cloning yourself, and I think in one of the videos, was it about the uh, different types of data engineers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was actually three. Yeah, there was three of you, yeah. How did you do this? Ah, the cloning you thing. You filmed like three yeah. different things, and then you kind of stitched it through some video editor? Yeah, that's as simple as that. So the only thing you need to really to pay attention is just the setup, is the light. The light needs to be constant, because if you have a shadow that's coming over, then when you're going to cut you know, each piece, you're going to see a dark one. And so you're going to see where the video is being cut. So this is the only thing. It's like a, mm -hmm. a simple trick. There, There is a lot of trick, which is way more simple than people think. It's just uh, doing some research on YouTube and figure that out. I love doing those. I'm having fun doing those. If you don't have having fun, it's you, you're going to give up. But like for me, it's like those effects and being a bit more funnier than would say the average learning resource. It's it's what may exciting yeah. me. So yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I started asking you about this a bit earlier because I wasn't watching time. But yeah, thanks for sharing your experience and thanks for telling about your channel. Everyone from us will appreciate the effort you put in the videos. So for everyone who is listening, please go check it out. I will put the link in the description. Yeah, I guess that's all for today. Uh, have a nice weekend, everyone. Cool. And I'll see you soon, I guess. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye-bye.